All right. Good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, this teaching ministry that is called to rightly divide the Word of God for the people of God. And today we are going to wrap up our study in the book of uh, Galatians together, the book of Galatians. So um, we're going to be looking today at Galatians chapter number six, um, verses two through 18, or three through 18. So this has been quite a journey for me as uh, uh, it's been a, a real high travel season for me, and uh, but I have really enjoyed working our way through this book, and uh, um, I hope you have too. My plan is to proofread it all and go ahead and kind of get it up like I did the, uh, the book of Acts, and... Um, you know, and allow other people to use it and study from it and agree, disagree, whatever they want to do with it. So, uh, let's see, Scott, God bless your brother. Good to see you, man. I hope you're doing all right. So, all right, Galatians, uh, chapter three, I mean, chapter six, last time we looked at, um, uh, Galatians six, one, and when I first started looking at it, it just seemed to be just a little bit of, uh, um, let me get this straight here. Give me just a second. I'm probably not going to get this far at all. Um, <laughs> no, there's no way I'm going to get all that today. Well, we can try a little bit. Chapter 6, verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Paul now turns to, you know, at first glance, I thought it was just practical instruction and application, but there's still some pretty deep stuff that, that he's still continuing the thought that he's had as he has been studying through or writing this letter. Uh, and he's still going to come back to those who are trying to place them under the, themselves under the law as compared to those who have not. So you'll get what I'm saying as we go. Look at verse number one. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So in this verse, Paul is encouraging them to be quick to restore a brother who has stumbled unwittingly. And now I say that because that word overtaken, uh, that word seems to indicate that it was not on purpose. Um, that um, he was, it, it, it overtook him. Uh, it caught him by surprise, if you will. Henry Moore says of this word, it contains the idea of falling. It is not the deliberate, the planned aspect of sin that is stressed, but rather the unwitting element. Mistake rather than misdeed is the force of the word, though without absolute absolution of responsibility. In other words, you still fell. Uh, but his point here in context is that he is most likely speaking of those 
who for a time, it seemed, did not walk in the spirit, but heeded the flesh. So again, this is most likely referring to those um, um, who had heeded the teaching of the Judaizers that they should place themselves back under the law. Um, and he's saying here, um, they need to be restored, not ignored or excused or even destroyed, but restored. And that word restore uh, means to put back in order to its former condition. Uh, so they just these these guys need these guys who were overtaken in this whole mess need to be restored, um, put back in their former condition. And I used to say, um, true reconciliation is the relationship is as good or better than it was before the offense. And that is so rare in the church today. Um, it just, it doesn't happen much. It doesn't happen between pastors, <laughs> um, let alone congregations, uh, in my experience. Um, but that's really what it should be. You know, I, I, I know these young guys that fell out years ago, um, you know, over what something that seemed a big deal, but I found out the other day they're meeting, their families have come together. Now they're actually about to attend the same church together. Now their relationship <clears throat> is really as good or better than it was <clears throat> when the offense happened. That, to me, is true reconciliation, and it happens very rarely in the church today, which is quite sad. I mean, I, you know, I think I go back to that verse, as much as depends upon you live at peace with all men, <coughs> you know, <clears throat> what that means to me is um, as much as depends on you, you try to reconcile. You try to make the relationship good again, um, as much as depends upon you. Uh, and I believe once you've done that part, uh, that's all you can do. If the other party refuses to meet in the middle, if you will, um, then all you can do is pray for that person. But that is what true reconciliation is. Um, and then notice that it is to be done, uh, let's see, it is to be done in a spirit of meekness. Um, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Um, in other words, it should be done um, gently with them, understanding that, you know, their, their fall um, could happen to you. Now, bear in mind, it says overtaken. Uh, that means it wasn't something they just woke up today and said, you know, I think today I'm going to fall. You know, in other words, it, it's in a, a spirit of this could be you. And that's the way we need to deal with other brothers. Uh, notice verse 2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, we're called to walk this thing together with each other's help. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
this walk was not to be what I call a Lone Ranger lifestyle. Uh, we are to love one another as Christ loved us. Um, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, we need to remember that we're not called to walk this walk alone. Now, I know that personally in my own ministry, I've felt like I've walked physically alone most of the time. I think being a pastor um, really can be a lonely place because if you don't, you because there's just always this this line between you and the congregation. Um, not that I didn't have men like deacons and elders that that came around me, but I was never totally at ease with them because they we were not they weren't pastors, you know. They really couldn't appreciate or understand uh, what I was dealing with, what I was struggling with. Um, so just something to, you know, that I had to keep in mind. And normally that meant I had to have relationships outside of the church, whether they be just mentors or, or men that, that, uh, I respected, um, you know, that could hold me accountable. And I did, I had an internal, um, board, I think we called it an advisory board, and then I had an external board, uh, which was made up of of other men that held me accountable, and other men that I could, they could serve as a sounding board for me. Matter of fact, I have a board meeting today. Um, it's going to be on Zoom, and it's a church up in Iowa. And it's a young man that I taught in Bible college who's now planting, planting a church. So he and I haven't met the other guys yet, but there's about four of us. But we don't even live in the Iowa area. At least I don't. I don't know where the other guys are. I'll find out today. But that is his external accountability uh, board. So, but anyway, that's the model that uh, that the the church that I was involved in had, and I found it to be something that I had to work on constantly, lest I isolate myself, um, which tended to happen uh, frequently if I let it. So notice for if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Now Paul addresses the issue of deception. Um, if a man think himself, to be something when he's nothing, he's deceived himself. Um, so he's talking about specifically the deception of self. Um, and I believe that it, it's flowing, bear ye one another's burdens, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Um, because if you think you're something <laughs> when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. Um, so it, he seems to be saying, this could happen to you. Um, so be there for each other. Um, and again, this fault seems to be pretty prevalent in our society today, for sure. Uh, we have become, in my opinion, uh, quite an arrogant people. 
and social media has propagated it. Uh, we have become a people that, I mean, I literally call people sometimes and their voicemail says, uh, I don't, I don't respond to phone calls, text me. Um, you know, we, they would rather chat with you than talk with you. You know, um, I, I think in some ways we have, we have started to hide. We've, we've started this anonymous communication with each other that has emboldened us to be um, sometimes just rude with one another. I mean, um, you know, I've had people, and I'm sure you've had too, that have said things to you on social media that I know they would never say that to my face. Um, and I try to avoid that doing that to somebody else. And of course it's emboldened them. It's made them a little arrogant. Um, um, so I, I think for sure for, if a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, um, he certainly has deceived himself, but each let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Um, this verse, uh, seems to be springboarding off of the previous one. um, and not thinking of yourself to be something when you're nothing, but let each man test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Um, in other words, a good way to avoid self-deception is self-examination. Um, don't be so quick to judge someone else before you look inside first. Uh, <clears throat> instead of comparing, instead of comparing ourselves to others, it runs with what he was saying in five thirteen when he said, when he talked about loving and serving one another instead. Uh, look over there, five thirteen. For brethren, ye have been called into liberty; only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but to love and serve one another. In other words, keeping that servant attitude. You know, if we kept that servant attitude, um, we wouldn't be thinking of ourselves <laughs> more than we ought. We would be serving. We'd be, we'd be bearing. We would be restoring others. So it's a mindset, I believe, that he's he's talking about there. For every man shall bear his own burden. Again, continuing the same thought of self-examination will result in carrying our own burdens instead of worrying about someone else's problems. Um, and that word burden is interesting. It's literally where we get our word portion. In other words, we've, we've all been given this portion to carry. And if we worried as much about our portion as we do other people's portion, <laughs> um, you know, he says, focus on your own burden first, uh, focus on your own problems by self-examination before you put someone, I guess it goes with what Jesus said, um, uh, examine, um, uh, what's that, uh, the log in your own eye <laughs> before you worry about the plank, uh, in your neighbor's eye. Uh, uh and then he says in verse six, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. 
In this verse, Paul is encouraging those who are taught to support those who teach them. So I had to study this quite a bit because, um, but every uh, person I looked at agreed um, because when you look at this verse in another translation, um, I mean, it seems clear Paul is encouraging those who are taught to support those who teach them. The NAS translates it, and let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Um, so that word communicate in the King James is share. Let him that is taught the word share with him that teacheth in all good things. So we're to share in all good things with him who teaches. Barnes says that it means to share what is needful for their comfortable subsistence. Uh, and again, he's following that same line about uh, carrying our portion, but also helping others to carry their portion. Um, so he's saying specifically here, be looking at those who have sown into your life if they need help. Um, I mean, it seems to be the same thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 when he said, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we reap your carnal material things. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Uh, and they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar. So Paul's clearly talking about how, uh, you know, they, we need to support those who are ministering the word into our lives. Um, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. Uh, Lightfoot says that it means to provide for the temporal needs of the teachers in Christ. Uh, even Martin Luther said something about it. Luther wrote, These passages are all meant to benefit us ministers. I must say, I do not find pleasure in explaining these verses. I am made to appear as if I am speaking for my own benefit. Now, um, I think every person that has pastored church can agree with Mark Luther saying there, uh, when you start to explain verses that talk about how the congregation needs to support the ministry, uh, which includes the minister, it can be very uncomfortable. Matter of fact, I know pastors that won't even touch it. Uh, they will bring in others to address the issue. Uh, uh, I'm thinking of Baptists because that's the ones that I've had the most uh, contact with. Uh, in many ways, they will often have a certain time during the year uh, where, you know, things about the budget and things are talked about and they bring in a guest uh, to address these issues. Um, but... Um, Anyway, I, I think as a pastor, if you're teaching the Word of God and you come across that verse, you know, go ahead and 
<laughs> lay it out there. Uh, Luther also said, I've often wondered <clears throat> why all the apostles reiterated this request with such embarrassing frequency. We have come to understand why it is so necessary to repeat the admonition of this verse. When Satan cannot suppress the preaching of the gospel by force, he tries to accomplish his purpose by striking the ministers of God with poverty. So, uh, that's Martin Luther <clears throat> speaking about what this verse is saying. So, so I think I'm right there. Let him that is taught, the one who's receiving the teaching, share with him that is doing the teaching. Um, and again, share what? Burdens, portions. Um, verse 7, uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. So Paul now reminds them of God's principle <clears throat> of sowing and reaping, that those who share in all good things with him who teaches, the New King James says. Um, his point is that there is a return on the investment. <laughs> in the business world, we call it ROI. Uh, there's a return on the investment here. Um, if, uh, if you... It's, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you're going to get back. It's the return on investment. Uh, to further the point, for those who choose not to do so, um, for, to further the point, for those who choose not to do so, it is not only selfish and short-sighted, but it is also mocking God's generosity. Um, so... He says there, I mean, he ties the two together. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. So, obviously, how is God going to be mocked? Uh, well, I mean, God has, has given you something to be a blessing to someone else. And again, it's following the same thought. Context, context, context. Let him that is taught in the word communicate to him that teacheth in all good things. And if you don't do that, you're mocking God. Um, <clears throat> Martin Luther again um, once said of this verse, Be careful, you scoffers. God may postpone his punishment for a time, but he will find you out in time and punish you for despising his servants. Um, you cannot laugh at God. <clears throat> so I can see that. I mean, I've been in congregations that have been very generous. Um, and I've been in congregations that have not been so generous. Um, I've had, <clears throat> and again, I'm just stating fact here. I'm not trying to gender any uh, sympathy, but I've... Uh, you know, we call it a love offering when you go share in another man's church. And sometimes, you know, they give you more love than they give you offering. Um, but the thing is, love will not put gas in your tank. You know, uh, love will not cover, you know, the time that was invested to bring you that bounty, to bring you that, that feast. And this happened to me. I mean, I, I've been... 
Um, I've been in places where all I got was a hug when I was done. Uh, I've, you know, I don't, you know, some people ask, well, do you have a minimum B? Uh, I've never been led to say, yeah, I, I expect X number of people's going to be there. And, um, you know, this is how much I want. I've never done that. Um, I've always just said, whatever the Lord, um, you know, just a love offering. And sometimes, um, I've, I found when people do ask that it is a concern for them. Um, I have become much more, what's the word, sus <laughs> of people who don't ask that uh, because more than likely they're the ones that are going to give you a pat on the back and send you home with nothing. Uh, I think we need to be careful of that. I don't think that's right. Uh, it's happened to me uh, more times than I would like to think, admit, but it shouldn't. I mean, we need to sow into the lives of the people. You know, uh, I mean, you know, for me, just to get in my car and drive an hour, an hour and a half now, at gas at $5 a gallon, $4 a gallon here in Central Virginia, you know, I, I come back in the negative, you know. Um, we just need to be careful of that. And that's what, uh, I believe that's what, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth that, that he will also, he will also reap. You need to be careful. Uh, in verse 8, uh, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life eternal. In other words, if we want to reap spiritual things, then we must plant spiritual things. <laughs> if you reap this, if you plant the spirit, you're going to reap the spirit. If you plant the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. You're going, well, he that sows to the wind will reap the whirlwind. You're going to get what you put into it. It's back to the ROI, the return on investment. And he says, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Of course, this principle extends beyond just giving uh, and supporting those who sow into our lives. Um, we get what we put into it, whether that's you know your job, your occupation, your relationships, uh, your education, your knowledge. I mean, you get what you put into it. Um, Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 9.11, If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it, it is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. Again, he's talking about, you know, sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9.6, uh, But I say, he that soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according to as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every uh, good work. Um, so 
in verse 10, Now he that ministered seed to you, the sower, both the minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So again, I mean, it's that return on investment. Specifically, Paul is dealing with how we need to sow into the lives of people who sow into ours. But again, it 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 goes it goes beyond that. In verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. Um, as such, we should not grow tired of doing good to others, especially those of the household of faith. Um you know, we need to take care of our brothers and our sisters. They should be the priority, uh, is what Paul is saying here. Uh, those who are of the household of faith um, should be our priority. Um, let's see, verse 11. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Um, so now, Paul says this because it was usually custom in the ancient world to dictate a letter through a scribe. Um, I actually had a secretary when I first went in the ministry that knew shorthand. Uh, so, you know, I didn't dictate a lot of letters, but <laughs> she would at some from time to time come in and she'd put these little scribblings on a piece of paper. She was serving as a scribe, writing in shorthand. Uh, court reporters do the same thing. Um, so it wasn't, it was, it was the custom that you would usually dictate a letter through a scribe. This does not necessarily mean he wrote the entire letter himself. So when it does say, you see how large a letter I've written unto you in my own hand, it doesn't mean that Paul wrote this entire six chapters with his own hand. Um, but a lot of times they would, the author would write a final, you know, uh, something at the end of the letter to authenticate uh, the letter. Um, and he did this in other places. He didn't just do it here in Galatians. Uh, in 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty one, the salutation to me, Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. So, I mean, it seems that Paul was writing through a scribe, but at the end, the salutation at the end, he he took the pen in his own hand. Uh, Colossians four eighteen, the salutation by my by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds, you know. So, Second uh, Thessalonians three seventeen, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand. Uh, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. So again, uh, another thing that we can uh, gather from this verse is found in the words, ye see how large letter I have written. Uh, many speculate that this was because he had poor eyesight and he could not read or write uh, small print. Um, very common I think we talked about it earlier, ophthalmology, 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 or something like that. Some kind of Paul apparently did have, um, and people point to this in other passages, 
that he did seem, have an eye problem. In Galatians 4.15, where is then the blessedness you speak of? For I bear you record that if you had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. I mean, the very fact that Paul says that, even that thorn in the flesh that Paul prayed to the Lord to remove three times and he didn't, um, some people believe that Paul had an eye issue that was continuing to grow worse. Uh, it could be offensive. Uh, it involved some oozing, if you will, uh, some pus around the eyes. Uh, so some you know, will look at that because he said, see how large a letter I've written. Um, however, others say that Paul used large letters just to make his point. Uh, I think of John Hancock and the signing of the Declaration of Independence. You know, he signed dead center in these large letters. In other words, I'm not ashamed of signing this, even if it costs me everything. Uh, so, you know, some, it could be both. You know, some say it was Paul's eyes that led him to do that. And some say it was just Paul making his point. It's like today you don't... Uh, you don't you don't chat or text uh, in large or capital letters because that is yelling, that's screaming. It's not considered to be a good text etiquette uh, to do that. Um, let's see, uh, verse twelve: As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Uh, Paul now accuses the ones who push the law on them to be, to make a, they're doing it just to make a fair show in the flesh. In other words, it's not a spiritual issue for these guys. They're, remember we said you can't, you can't sow spirit and get flesh, and you can't sow flesh and get spirit. Um, so Paul is accusing these guys that are pushing this uh, law onto them of making a fair show in the flesh. How? By constraining them to be circumcised. And his point to me is that while pretending to care for those who they are, quote, bringing back under the law, their motive was actually selfish and that they were trying to bring glory to themselves. Uh, reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass the sea to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold, twofold more a child of hell than yourself. Uh, they were merely viewing these Galatians as notches in their self-righteous belts. So Paul also says that their motivation was only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross. Now Morris makes a comment here. To advocate circumcision was to align the new movement, which was uh, Christianity, with Judaism, a religion that had official Roman sanction. You remember the Romans 
um, would allow the conquered peoples to keep their own religion, and Judaism had become acceptable to the Romans, and therefore one that avoided persecution. So the only ones that would get persecuted were these these of the way, these new Christians. Um, the preachers Paul was opposing may have included the cross in their proclamation, but by adding the necessity of circumcision, they avoided persecution. In other words, they would throw the cross in there to appease um, the Christians, but then they would keep the circumcision in there and to make sure that this movement was still identified with Judaism, uh, therefore not bringing any more persecution down on their heads at the hands of the Romans. But I would further say that uh, they did it also to avoid persecution at the hands of their fellow Jews. Um and I, I've said this before, uh, Paul <clears throat> never, you know, when, before his conversion, he did not persecute Christians. Uh, I hear people say that all the time, and I taught that. Uh, Paul didn't persecute Christians. Paul persecuted Jews. Paul persecuted uh, these Jews, these kingdom Jews that had accepted Christ as their Messiah. So really, to say Paul persecuted the church, um, Paul did not persecute the body of Christ. Paul persecuted the kingdom Jews um, because I believe Paul was the first into the church. So Paul didn't persecute the church, of which he was the start. <laughs> so again, it's just that rightly dividing the word of God that that comes into context there uh reminds me of what the writer of hebrews said in hebrews 12 3 and 4 for considering him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself lest you be weird and faint in your own minds you've not resisted the blood striving against sin um i don't think persecution while not sought after cannot be helped if you're living for God. And that's what Paul is saying. These guys are just trying to make this new faith part of Judaism. They're throwing just enough cross in there with circumcision to avoid persecution at the hands of the Romans and even the Jews. But <clears throat> um, Paul told Timothy, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In other words, you're going to suffer. If you're, if you're preaching the right thing, the right way, there's no way around it. I mean, look at the culture we live in today. Um, if you come out and speak truth on any <clears throat> political issue today, uh, not only are you going to be attacked by the world, but you're going to be attacked by those of, in the quote church. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day. We had, <clears throat> We had some customers come in the store who clearly were not, were, were clearly homosexuals in the way they dress and the way they act, the way they talked. And one referred to the other as his wife. And, you know, and I'm just shocked at when you talk to um, other young, quote, Christians, uh, they are either clearly confused on what the Bible says in regards to that issue, or they are completely deceived. 
in regards to what the Bible says to that issue. Either way, when you attempt to speak truth of the Word of God into their lives on that issue, uh, you can separate uh, friendships very quickly. Because today, we don't move in the realm of fact. We move in the realm of feeling. Um, we don't move in the realm of the black and white Word of God. We move in the realm of how it feels. And that is a very dangerous thing, indeed. Indeed, it's a very dangerous thing. So, um, <clears throat> And then notice Paul says... Um, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor circumcision, but a new creature. So <clears throat> this is a, a pretty interesting section here. Uh, that Paul is going to be dealing with because he brings up the new creation, um, which, which we are, a new creation in Christ. Um, notice what he says here. He says, on the other hand, Paul says that he glories in the cross of Christ, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because back up here, uh, he says that these guys are glorying in the flesh. Right there in verse 13. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. And then Paul turns around and says, but God forbid that I should glory. In other words, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I into the world. So he's following that same thought. I'm not going to glory um, like these guys did because I'm going to preach nothing but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so Paul says, I'm only going to glory in the cross because the world is crucified to me and me to the world. The world is not my home, and I'm not going to gain my glory by the things of this world. Why? Because it isn't about circumcision or uncircumcision, but it's about the new creature in Christ. Um, let me see, a new creation. Isn't that Galatians? I believe it is. It's Galatians. Uh, uh, new creation, I believe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, well, I'm reading in the King James, so it would be creature. Yeah. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Paul here says, But God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember the ones he's talking about, the ones that were glorying in their flesh because they had 
led the Galatians to come back under the law, and they put just enough cross in there so they wouldn't get persecuted. He says, I do not glory. I preach nothing but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the world is crucified to me. In other words, I don't care what the world thinks of me um, because I'm dead to it and it is dead to me. And he says, because in Christ, it's not about circumcision. It's not about uncircumcision. It's about being a new creature in Christ. Um, that's what it's about. And he says, for and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be unto them and mercy and upon the, the Israel of God. So as many as walk according to this rule, what rule? Um, well, he's pronouncing a blessing on those who walk according to this rule. What rule? Glorying in the cross and becoming a new creation. I mean, that's got to be what he's referring to. He's referring, he's referring to the previous verse. Uh, verses, those who are in the cross and becoming new cre creatures who don't give heed to circumcision or uncircumcision. Um, interesting that he began this letter with a curse in Galatians 1, 8, 9, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that's been preached, you let him be accursed. And now he's ending the letter with a blessing. Uh, on those who glory in the cross, not in the keeping of the law, but becoming new creatures in Christ. So now these are those who are the true Israel of God or the spiritual descendants of Abraham according to faith. Uh, that is not, in my opinion, uh, calling the church the new Israel of God. And I probably need to spend a little more time on that on that phrase there. But clearly, if you've been reading in context, he is talking about the very same thing he talked about throughout chapter 3, that the faith that Abraham exercised when he was given the promise of God, the faith that made him righteous, um, that's the whole thing he was arguing in, in chapter number three. He's saying that those who do so, those who uh, understand it's all about the cross and being a new creation, which comes about by faith, are the true Israel of God, are the true spiritual descendants of Abraham according to the faith. So again, that, that's not a verse to go to to try to build an argument for replacement theology. And the only way you can do that is by pulling the verse out of context with everything that Paul's been talking about for the past five chapters. Um, interesting, let's see, that's... Uh, <clears throat> I'd like to see what some of the other translations say upon the Israel of God, uh, New American Standard, upon the Israel of God, NIV, um, upon even to the Israel of God. So peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. So he could also be saying there, not only uh, are those who are blessed who follow this rule um, here, 
which would include the body of Christ, but even those within the Israel of God, the kingdom believers, if you will. <clears throat> but either way, it is not a, <clears throat> a verse <clears throat> to, to make an argument for covenant or replacement theology. Anyone who does so is pulling the verse wildly out of context. It can mean either or of those, uh, but it's not calling the church the new Israel. From henceforth, let no man trouble you, for I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What does he mean, let no man trouble me? It could be that he's saying he doesn't want to hear any more of this nonsense about the law, or that no one can accuse him of not having suffered for the preaching of the cross of Christ. Uh, so he says, from henceforth, let no man trouble me. Uh, meaning, I don't want to hear about this anymore. I've put it to bed. I've spent six chapters dealing with this issue. This issue. Or he could be saying, uh, don't tell me what it means to suffer uh, because I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know what suffering for the cross of Christ looks like. Um, interesting, a teaching <clears throat> rose out of this statement. This was something I studied last night. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Uh, it's called the stigmata. You ever heard of that, the stigmata? Um, I've only seen it like in movies and stuff, to be honest. I, I never really dug deep into it. But basically, the Catholic Church teaches that you can actually ha receive uh, the physical wounds of Christ um, as a result of your identification or your devotion to Christ. And it's called the stigmata, and there's five stigmatas. Uh, the the hands, the feet, the side, the back, and the head. Um, as a matter of fact, they say that five saints uh, in church history received the stigmata, uh, beginning with St. Francis of Assisi. Um, so, interesting. Um, in other words, as a result of your devotion, you can actually... <clears throat> receive in your body the marks of Christ. So literally nail prints in your hands or your feet or nails prints in your side or thorns in your head or lashes on your back, uh, you can receive the, quote, one of the five stigmatas. The church teaches that stigmata is unique mystical signs that few people have experienced when someone receives the stigmata, they share in the sufferings of Christ in a very literal way. They bear the wounds of Christ, crucified such as wounds in their hands, feet, side, the wounds of the crucifixion, on their head, the wounds of the crown of thorns, on their back, the wounds of the scourging, or some combination of these. In truth, all Paul is referring to is the marks, the wounds, the scars that he received as a result of his service for Christ. Second Corinthians, for the for are they servants of Christ? I am better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, 
Five times I was at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I was adrift in the sea. Paul is not referring to some mystical experience where, excuse me, you received the stigmata. Instead, when he says, for I bear in my my body the marks of our Lord Jesus, he is talking about the persecution that he had received as a result of teaching the, the cross of Christ, the new creation. That's what he's referring to. And he says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul concludes by emphasizing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, his desire was that they should not walk in legalism through the law, but in the grace that comes through faith. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ Christ be with your spirit. Barclay says, after the storm and stress and intensity of the letter comes the peace of the benediction. Paul has argued and rebuked and conjoled, but his last words are grace. For him, the only word that really mattered, grace. And thus Paul ends the teaching of the book of Galatians. Mate. <laughs> we made it uh, through the book of Galatians. Um, uh, now I'm going to go back. I've already started putting all this in paragraph form. And I found out from when I released the Exodus study that uh, there needs to be massive amounts of proofreading. <laughs> Uh, even though these notes make sense to me, it doesn't mean that it makes sense to thee. So I'm going to go in, and I've already started doing it, but I'm going to do all that, and I'm going to release it just like I did the Acts and the Kindle uh, version. So, And then from here, I think I'm going to spend some time talking about why or how uh, I have come uh, to where I am on my journey of right division and why I believe this is where we need to be. Uh, the more I study it, uh, the more it, I am convinced that we must rightly divide the Word of God or we're going to be confused. You know, I was watching some poor people spin around at the front of a church you know, the other day and falling out. And, you know, I mean, where does all of that come from? It comes from not rightly dividing the word of truth. It comes from not accurately understanding what is happening at Pentecost, who Pentecost was for. Um, so much of the error that is in the church today is a result of just not rightly dividing the word of truth. It's like one of the first books I read, God was not talking to you. Uh, God was not talking about you. Uh, and we take on the blessings and the privilege and the covenants of Israel. Incorrectly so. We, even though not in word, but indeed become replacement in our theology 
if we do not rightly divide the Word of God. So I'm going to spend some time talking about that, uh, why I've arrived at this, why this is the only place to be if we're going to accurately understand the differences between the writing of Paul and the other 12 apostles. Why there are seeming contradictions between what Paul says and what James says. That alone should be enough to rattle you if you're not following along. And again, the only way you can harmonize the writings of Paul with James is to spiritualize what they're saying to make it mesh. Uh, so I'm going to spend some time talking about that. So, all right, man, this was it. This was uh, session 25, Galatians chapter 6, 3 through 18. And I hope you enjoyed the study, and it's good to see you guys. Those of you that are hanging there, Scott, Mac, God bless you. And uh, y'all have a great Lord's Day. Remember, he loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for our good.